and welcome to In the Spotlight, the podcast where we get to hear from grad students and postdocs in the sciences all around the world about the exciting new research that they're doing. My name is Emily Schaefer, and I am your host. This episode, we are broadening our definition of the sciences a little bit by having on the show a Northwestern University grad student, Abby Smith. Abby is a fourth-year PhD student in the Department of Statistics at Northwestern. So welcome, Abby. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So the first question I want to ask, because I'm personally really curious, as someone who studies statistics, do you consider yourself a scientist? Yeah, I think this is something that a lot of statisticians grapple with. I do think I consider myself a scientist, but a scientist with a big responsibility because a lot of statistics folks work in the social sciences. And so we're typically bringing scientific methods and methods applied in the form of a hard science to non-necessarily scientific, always historically scientific fields. Very cool. And I'm guessing you consider yourself to be a mathematician as well, so you're kind of riding both worlds. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, statistics can be theoretical. You know, you have people that work in probability and probably could be doing pure math PhDs. But then I think you have a lot of folks that have been drawn to statistics for its applied side. And I, I think I definitely fit into that category um, on being the on the very applied end of the field. I see. And what specifically got you interested in statistics? I've always been a numbers person and a weird factoid flipping through my almanac on 12-hour car trips with my family sort of way. And I think that the undergrad, I'd never taken a stats class before college, and then I came into undergrad and was really disillusioned with some of my math classes. And so to step into a statistics classroom and get to work on real-world data sets um, from Pittsburgh, they took me to the diamond mines in South Africa, you know, all these data sets from all over the world in my first regression course, I think that was the, a big, a big uh, starting point for me. Awesome. What does it mean exactly to do statistics research? How has statistics kind of evolved over time as a field? Oh my gosh, it's evolved a ton. Uh, computers were, and com- computation has been huge for the field. So I think statistics research, uh, on the very theoretical math end, you have people working in probability and On the very, very applied end, you have people just trying to solve problems in the quantitative social sciences or science using statistical methods. And I think a lot of stats research falls into the middle. So you have people developing new methods and you need to show that those work for a variety of applications and data structures. Um, So I think in the past uh, couple of years, uh, what's been huge for the field is, you know, this huge data science revolution. Yeah, we could talk for a while about uh, how statisticians feel about data science, but I think that most have chosen to kind of embrace this broader definition of what statistics looks like. I think data science is a pretty broad term that encompasses, you know, statistics, machine learning, computer science, all all these things. And I think it's really good for it's been really good for the field to have all this attention on data <laughs> um, and its applications. So very cool. And tell us a little bit more about your specific research. Where does it fall into this really changing field? So I am kind of working to combine two different areas of of statistics. On the one end, you have something called record linkage or 
deduplication, or in my case, um, the term we're using for it is called entity resolution, which sounds a little bit scary. Um, and then on the other end, there's been this growing interest in network science, in particular social networks. And so I'm looking at kind of combining two different areas. And what record linkage is, is typically uh, you have multiple lists or multiple databases, and you might have uh, the same people referred to in each list, but perhaps by different names. Maybe I'm referenced as Abby Smith in one list, but A. Smith in the other. Maybe one has a Maryland address and one has my Chicago address. And so you're really trying to algorithmically figure out who's who in one data list. And so I'm, or in multiple data lists, and I'm extending that to a social network setting. Awesome. I'm a little intimidated by some of these buzzwords you're throwing around. So how do you define things like social networks or what was the one you said about entity something? Entity resolution. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really, it's really just, if we look at a data, a data set as having different manifestations of same, of the, whatever the real world entity is. And so in my case, I'm particularly interested in humans and individuals as the entities, but this could be a wide variety of things. You can think of different lists of businesses online and we want to figure out who are the true businesses or what are the true businesses, you know, what are the entities and on the social network piece. So I think a lot of people are thinking of, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, these big online social networks, but I think what's kind of cool about my research is that I'm actually interested in, in smaller social networks, um, in particular uh, samples that have been collected by a couple research teams I can talk about that are particularly interested in kind of hard to reach communities. So I have some collaborators at the University of Kentucky that are really interested in Appalachian uh, people who use drugs um, in a couple of counties in Kentucky. Uh, they actually had a really interesting sampling strategy to get at this. So uh, it's called respondent-driven sampling. So it's not a typical probability sample like the census is. Instead, what they did is they essentially had a couple community-based interviewers, um, and they literally set up tents in Walmart parking lots and had people come talk to them about their drug use behavior, social support ties, that sort of thing, and then had those people refer others into the study with, they could refer up to, I think, 11 people in the study. Because it's a really sensitive topic, they only had to refer people in by their first name and last initial and also estimated age. And so you have a wide variety of duplicates in that network because we're not sure if a Robert W, estimated age 36, is the same as a Bob W, estimated age 32, somewhere else in the network. So that's one data set I have. And then uh, I also have some collaborators at the medical school at Northwestern at Feinberg who have conducted uh, this study called RADAR, this massive longitudinal study. It was across seven years and five visits, and their main target population is young men who have sex with men in Chicago. Um, what's really interesting about their study is actually halfway through was kind of when Grindr really started to become popular, and so you actually see these massive changes in, in network structure there. But they're really interested in HIV status, but also similar things to what the, the University of Kentucky study targets. So that is a really interesting network because it's it's a little bit bigger than the Kentucky one on the order of maybe um, 1,500 individuals, and it has this longitudinal piece. So you're trying to match individuals across time and deduplicate across time. 
And why does this process of deduplication matter? What problems does duplication within a data set cause? Right. So you can think, I think it's easy to conceptualize, you know, a couple duplicates in a data set, how much of an impact can it really have? But that definitely multiplies when you have a network because there, let's say you have a duplicate that happens to be a hub node. You're thinking that it's maybe one of the most influential individuals in the social network. And then you find out that that node really should be two nodes or two people. Um, You can start to kind of conceptualize that this has big impacts for a lot of um, social network metrics. So the most common one that people look at is degree, which is just how many friends do you have? How many people are you connected to? And we've already started to see just on the most basic type of deduplication, how the degree distribution, um, so like the frequency of number, the number of people who have 12 friends versus four friends versus three friends, we see a huge shift in that after just one pass of deduplication. Okay, and this might be kind of a silly question to ask a statistician, but what's the difference between a network and just a regular old data set? Right. So I think it's interesting. So in a network setting, you might have the same information you used to have in a normal data set, you know, name, age, race, gender, anything like that. But you also will have information about that individual's ties. This is important for deduplication because ideally we want to exploit that, right? Let's say we found that the Robert W. and Bob W. were both friends with someone named Jana F. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's giving us a little more evidence that Robert F. and Bob F. might be actually be the same person um, if they happen to share a lot of the same ties. And so that's it's a simple idea, but it's proved really useful in the field. We should we should make use of network information and ties that you have to people to help with the deduplication process. And these projects that you're talking about, the one in Appalachia and this Chicago one, what does the presence or what does the use of deduplication mean for their work and how they look at their social networks? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The University of Kentucky folks are out of their school of public health. And so for them, they there's a lot of of grant money trying to target uh, opioid use interventions in that area. And so really being able to understand the true nature of the network structure, especially in their case, because it's a pretty small and connected community. So they, it's really important for them to figure out who are the most influential individuals in this community, right? To be able to have the the biggest impact in their interventions with, when you might have some limited resources there. And I think the same is true for the, the Northwestern and the radar study. Yeah, it's really important for you to understand how how many people are connected to each other. What other applications do you think that this sort of strategy could be really beneficial for? Yeah, so the one that comes to mind that I think is a little bit scary, but I think a lot of people would be interested in trying to uh, match or deduplicate people across multiple social network platforms, right? So being able to say, this Emily Schaefer on Facebook is the same as this Emily Schaefer on Twitter. Uh, that is a massive deduplication problem. And we would want to use your friends on Facebook to help perhaps deduplicate when we're looking at your, your Twitter as well, you know? So um, I think that uh, would be a big hot topic area um, if we were to scale this more. Yeah, that seems really challenging. Why would you want to be able to connect social networks in that way? I'm curious now. Yeah, so I think 
I uh, obviously my brain points to to advertising firms, right? Like if they can effectively, a lot of of advertising firms would want to be able to show you the same ads on multiple social network platforms uh, if if they could, and it would be cost effective for them. So I think <laughs> I think. It, that's the that's kind of a scary a scary thought and not one that's going to appeal to most people but for from a business perspective i could see that as being something that a lot of people would be interested in yeah that makes sense but i imagine that these public health studies there might be a little bit more of a noble application right right, right. <laughs> and and historically um this field of record linkage, of deduplication across multiple data sets has been used a lot in census work. It's been used in uh, health health databases. And typically, it's been really exciting for me as a grad student to talk to people about my research, and everyone has some duplication problem. Um, and I actually got to work on a perhaps no- noble <laughs> project for my <laughs> master's um, on record linkage. So I was working with an organization called uh, the Human Rights Data Analysis Group, and their whole purpose is more accurate estimation of death toll counts. So I actually worked with, uh, we had, I think, about five different data sets from different NGOs in Syria, um, because back in 2012, the Syrian government stopped collecting official death toll data. And so that work had been taken up by these NGOs. And it was obviously very, very messy work. They weren't necessarily always trying to, to make it a super clean list. They were just trying to get as much information as possible. So you had these five lists where there were clearly duplicates um, and trying to use that information to, to have an accurate estimate to come out of the conflict was, was a project I worked on. So there is definitely a lot of non-advertising related applications to this sort of work. Very interesting. That's so fascinating. What groups or even demographics do you think would be most impacted by this sort of work? Is there a general trend as to who benefits here? Yeah, so I think that for for my particular data sets for my, my thesis work, I think we the the populations are in the in the data sets specifically. But I think when I'm thinking about who who is going to use this work, I think of network scientists. So so people who aren't necessarily on this pre-processing on this duplication side, but are handed a network data set. I'm really trying to think about what are the things that I could give to them that could help them potentially adjust and account for deduplication problems downstream. And so I think the social network field is exploding. There's there's tons of groups even just here at Northwestern that focus on social network research. And so um, as a statistician, you're trying to see who you can help. And I think network scientists are uh, one part of that. I think one thing that needs to be looked into a lot is the disproportionate impact of deduplication errors uh, in data sets. And there have actually been a couple of studies in, in the healthcare domain where they've shown that there have been worse deduplication errors for minority groups. Um, There was a study in this Australian hospital records database where they showed that indigenous groups um, were, it was more difficult to match them. And so that there is needs to be more of a focus on how, (laughs) on on equal, uh, equal linkage across all populations. Wow, that's really hard to hear that in so many ways, including databases and math and science, that minority groups are still kind of last on the totem pole. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge, huge uh, a data gap. If I had one book to recommend, we actually read in the stat department this book uh, called Invisible Women 
really good about the the gender data gap and just how men are often taken as as the default and and a huge part of that is just available available data and transparent data so yeah gotcha we'll definitely include that in the episode description because i always love to to recommend other resources too so thank you for that yeah um, thinking more about how this research kind of broadly fits into the world, are there any either current or maybe even future policies that you can think of that are related to this area of research? Yeah, I can think of just for researchers in particular. I think deduplication is typically viewed as a pre-processing step that's just kind of looked over. I think, and this happens in, in all sciences. If you have messy data, missing data, whatever, you might deal with it in your own way, but that's not going to be a primary focus of a paper you're writing, for example. And I think trying to have researchers report exactly how they handle duplicates and missing data and that sort of thing um, is a push in statistics, and I'm, I'm hopefully contributing to that push. Very cool. Abby, what part of your research or just statistics research broadly do you think is most interesting to the general public? I think, honestly, the application areas of my research stick with people, Um, and this idea of trying to make sure we count the uncounted is definitely an idea, a powerful idea in the statistics field. I think this idea of of big data and the big data revolution, if I'm I'm talking more broadly about statistics, is kind of, uh, it's scary, but also appealing. It's like we have all this data that's been passively collected online. Now what can we really do with it and what statistical methodologies need to be developed to be able to deal with it in an ethical way? I think that's a, that's a big deal. And ethical being the key word there. I'm, I'm glad you included that there too. <laughs> yeah. All right, Abby, to wrap us up with a final question, if all of us listening were to understand one piece of your research or field, what would you want to spotlight? So statistics is the field of uncertainty. And I find myself when I'm collaborating with folks sometimes being kind of negative, like, oh, you can't do that. You haven't accounted for X, Y, Z. And I, I want to remind people that that statistics and data science should be about being a possibilist, being able to, to say, like, here's here's what we have and here's what we need to do <laughs> to make this useful. Uh, I, that's a very broad statement. I think for my research, I just want people to realize that how they handle data from the very first step of collection and cleaning can have big downstream impacts. And yeah, that's what I want folks to know. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear from someone like me who is, you know, more of a traditional scientist in the lab. Um, It is really interesting to hear the perspective that the way you handle your data really matters. Yeah, it does. I think people are so focused on the analysis step a lot of times. And the interesting part about statistics is being able to trace error through all of these steps that you're taking um, and seeing how, how it can really impact the inferences you make. So be careful. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. A word to the wise. <laughs> Great. Um, and Abby, if people are really interested in learning more about this, how can they learn more or maybe contact you? Sure. So uh, my Twitter account is Flabby Smith, one word. Um, feel free to DM me on Twitter. Um, also, my email is als1 at u.northwestern.edu. I think uh, I also am really involved in women in data science events in Chicago. And so if anyone has any questions about that whatsoever, really happy to talk, talk about that as well. 
Awesome. Thank you so much again, Abby, for being on the show. It was thank really you, great. Thank you, great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Um, if you want to connect with this podcast on social media, you can find this podcast on Twitter at Spotlight the Pod. And this podcast was brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. And you can learn more about SPOT at our website, spot.northwestern.edu, or on Twitter at SpotForceNU. Thank you so much again for listening, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you've been listening to this podcast. Thank you.